I'm Shelly Metcalf, and you are listening to Five Lives to 50, the sustainability podcast for product managers, where I talk with Jim Fava and Neil D'Souza about how to negotiate the path to more sustainable products before the year 2050. This is episode three, where we answer what is a sustainable product and discuss why narrowly focusing on carbon is an oversimplification of sustainability. We also differentiate what makes a great product manager from a good one and steps you can take to change your thinking. Let's start by just reflecting on the fact that in March of this year, the EU published a proposal called the Green Claims Directive to deal with greenwashing. So let's set the stage. What is a sustainable product? And yeah, let's take it from there. Sure. Uh, let me let me start. Uh, to me, you know, product sustainability, you really have to define what do we mean by sustainable development first before you really talk about product sustainability. Because a lot of interaction we've been seeing now, a lot of people talk about product sustainability as just, okay, it's an environmental issue or it's a carbon issue uh, kind of perspective. And I th- what I see happening is that we really first need to understand what was really met you know, by the Brundtland uh, report in 1987 uh, on what was sustainable development. Uh, in the, the book called The Common Future, it really defines sustainable development as a development that meets the needs of the present without compromising the ability of future generations to meet their own needs. And I think this was really foundational uh, because it wasn't just decisions that we look at, you know, meeting the needs of the present uh, and you do things for short term, but you also do things for long term. And I think that often that long term consideration of uh, in designing a product and uh, its, its lifespan uh, often sort of ignores or does not yet know how to handle you know, the impact on future generations to and, and how they meet their, their needs. And so within that, you had originally, you know, issues on environmental stewardship, social, you know, equity, you know, economic, you know, prosperity, some of the intergenerational equity issues uh, in some of the global, you know, collaboration. So that was really foundational for where we've been going for a long time. But when you think about it from a product perspective, now you're dealing with it not just from a, a global societal perspective, but refers really to the concept of developing and providing goods in a way that minimizes their negative impact on the environment, social economy through the entire life cycle, but not short, not just short term, but the longer term consequences of that product over its entire life lifespan. So you still have the environmental, you still have the social responsibility, uh, and you have the, you know, the economic you know, viability part of it. And I think this is where we've been seeing a lot of conversations in the in the product sustainability scope and uh, in space is really related to sort of the business value of a, a, a sustainable product. Um, and we've done a lot of work with companies. And when you think about the business value, you're translating sort of the environmental and social performance uh, into the language of the Decision maker, you know, will improve my brand, will it grow my revenue, reduce my costs, you know, will it mitigate risk um, and, and, uh, you know, to to me and my, you know, and and the company and the the product category. So these were sort of the foundational pieces of what product sustainability means. But to me, because you're dealing with a product now, you're not dealing with enterprise, it also deals with understanding the full environmental impact of the product from raw material acquisition through management 
manufacturing, transportation use, and end of life or recycling, you know, kind of a activity. And that's often used by the technique that's often used as life cycle assessment. But there are other techniques. But you really look at what are those full impacts, but not just environmental, but the social impacts. So that whole life cycle systems perspective is, is a little different than if you're looking at an enterprise, but now you're looking at a product. So it's the upstream, you know, supplier and downstream uh, user or customer and, and, and user. The other component of it for product sustainability that I think is really foundational uh, is the governance. If you're really going to put a product sustainability program in place within a company, you need to have a, a sort of the sustainability metrics that are critical for that category that's embedded into the product development process, into the innovation process. So this is where the governance sits in. And I, one of my golden rules is that you have three legs of the stool, environmental, social, economic, but you need a seat. And the seat is a governance. And so to me, when I think about product sustainability, you've got environmental, social, economic, and sort of that life cycle understanding of the full impacts. But then that information and that priority and that focus uh, and commitment is actually embedded into the innovation uh, process. And this is where the product manager uh, plays a key role. So, Shelley, from my perspective, that when I think about product sustainability, that's what I think of. I think I I agree with you 100. I, I I think about it slightly differently. Um, it's almost like a different lens on the same thing that you're saying, Jim. Um, if you think of what a sustainable product is, it is something that you should be able to produce in perpetuity, right? And there is no such product as we know. You know, the availability of resources change, technologies that allow you to develop products change. I mean, we didn't have the technology that we have today that we use to make computer chips mm-hmm. 70 years ago, right? The demand from customers changes. I mean, there was a study that was done recently where we found 35% of buyers of consumers around the world are willing to spend 25% more money on sustainable products or what things that they consider more sustainable. Uh, this was this was nothing a decade ago, right? Um, if you're looking at regulations that uh, govern how you make and sell products, uh, change over time. We as a society determine what is good for us and what is not. Uh, sometimes this is uh, environmental concerns like you know the CFC and the ozone layer problems that we had before. It could be water consumption and uh, and water pollution issues. It could be climate change. Um, this changes over time, right? And therefore, I think if you think of what a sustainable product is, it is, it is hard to say what a sustainable product is if you remove the perspective of time. What is a sustainable product from the perspective of where we are today and our understanding of what are the needs and requirements of making and selling these products, right? This could be a different definition tomorrow. And actually, um, tomorrow, uh, if if you were to take the same product today that is considered sustainable, it may not be sustainable tomorrow. Sure. Right? And I think that's 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 one aspect of it. So y- you mentioned you know, the the two aspects of considering how to determine the environmental sustainability of a product across its life cycle. Right. So this entire thing about uh, diesel cars versus or the in- internal combustion engine versus the electric car. And if you think about it uh, from a uh, from a production perspective, it is far dirtier from a you know, resource consumption, climate change perspective to make an electric car. But then mm-hmm. you drive this car around for the same amount of time, 250,000 kilometers, and you have a, 
um, you have a switch somewhere in the middle where electric cars just make a lot of more sense. And as the, gr the, the grids that use to power these cars, to charge these cars become greener, that crossover becomes, uh, comes closer and closer to the point of when you buy this car, right? As it becomes more sustainable. And I think one of these aspects is you cannot you cannot forget about one aspect of uh, your product uh, in terms of where it lives across its life cycle from production to use to where it'll end up after it is uh, its first use is, has come to an end. I think the other aspect of this uh, that we mentioned is we talked of carbon, right? As one of these, uh, one of the de facto standards, uh, apparently for determining if a product is sustainable today or not. I, I reject that, right? I think ca carbon is one of those those simplifications of what sustainability is. I think if you look at carbon, there is a correlation to cost. There's a correlation to, to environmental damage, whether you're looking at resource depletion or whatever that is. So it's a kind of approximation, but I think there are things that cannot be covered through this approximation, right? Things like societal damage, things like, like regulations and uh, harmful substances that you put into products that could be detrimental for the health of, of its, uh, of its users. I think understanding the multi criteria view of sustainability, like you mentioned, not just from the perspective of environment, but of commercial and uh, societal aspects is, is key. And I think the third aspect of this is understanding this in the context of time and sustainability per definition changes over time and therefore it's better to define it as a more sustainable option rather than a sustainable option and i think um, jim you've coined this very often you know <laughs> there's no such thing as a green product just a greener product i agree with you there yeah that's a that could be a difficult landscape for a product manager to navigate if the concept of sustainability or what to consider can change over time so let's look at the present moment then. And you mentioned, Neil, that carbon is getting a lot of attention. What are some of the risks of a narrow focus on carbon as an approximate for sustainability? I think there are there are several uh, environmental impacts that are directly correlated with carbon, right? So if you reduce carbon use, you will directly reduce the impact that you have in terms of primary resource consumption, primary energy consumption. Uh, sometimes uh, if you're looking at uh, acidification, eutrophication, there are general tendencies of correlation between carbon and uh, these environmental impacts. If you're looking at things that are anti-correlated though, and that is very often the case, costs of today are, are, or at least in the beginning of any technology implementation are more expensive, right? So there's an anti-correlation between cost and carbon. If you're looking at, uh, the, the building of infrastructure, right? This is uh, land use change. This is, uh, um, you're looking at a cost to the, to the economy and society. If you're going to change, uh, let's say mobility from roads to rail, right? Or if you're going to change from gas stations that are spread across, you know, the, um, the highways to electrification where you have to draw power cables. I think there are several things that are, and I'm not saying that either of them is bad, right? This is something that you need to consider that there are certain environmental parameters, even if you're just looking at environmental parameters that are correlated to carbon. And there are some that are anti-correlated to carbon. If you don't understand what is the extent of this, this damage, I think there can be a huge price to pay if you're even if you're just looking at an environmental dimension right forget about the societal and the the commercial dimensions of it i think the, the there's another aspect to this is uh even if you're looking at carbon right to not forget about the fact that 
carbon behaves differently. So product lifecycle means that the amount of carbon you generate in the way you manufacture it and the way you use it and the way you treat it at the end of life can be vastly different. And I think this other aspect of not just looking at different criteria, but looking at carbon across these different stages is also crucial. So it's not just about this one parameter, but about looking at one parameter across the lifetime of a product. And I think it's important to, it's, it's, um, it's not often thought about, right? You may design as a product manager making cars. I'm from, I live in the city of cars, Stuttgart in Germany. And so a lot of my analogies are about cars. But if you think of a car, you may design the same model, right? Make it the same color, the same engine. Everything is the same. You sell it to two different people in two different countries and they will live completely different lives. And I think this is super important to to keep in mind, right? That your product is living a different life, even though you designed it in a, in a in a in in the same way. It's one product that you designed, and I think that's this this idea of tracking carbon, but also its implications across this life cycle. That is that is super important to do as a product manager. And I think it's also a very interesting exercise, right? Um, there was a, there's, there's examples of, uh, we're trying to design, uh, dematerialize a lamp, right? A lamppost. And you can talk about all of the impact that you have to make the, the, the lamppost itself. And it is, you know, about 10% of the impact, 90% of it is from the amount of energy it consumes to light that bulb, right? So cabling and the incandescence. If you focus on these things, you might, uh, you might end up at a completely different design. Right. And I think it's also important to keep in mind that if you were to design a lamp in for use in Saudi Arabia, you would have different trade-offs than if you were to do that in Norway. Right. Very important to keep in mind because the life cycle of that same lamp is completely different based on the grid mixes that you use. So I think thinking about these things is is crucial when you're trying to design the best product. I come from India. Uh, when I was young, we didn't have consumer packaged goods chips and coke cans you know this this didn't exist back then from one day to the next we introduced we had pepsi and cola and the pepsi cola wars back in those days and they introduced <laughs> this this you know this splurge of of very easy consumable high fat high pro, high high sugar content foods right nobody knew what to do with the packaging at the end of it because we designed this out of europe and the us and we said hey you know we can sell this everywhere else but there was no there was no concept of what to do with this kind of waste, and so India became one of the largest polluters for uh, for waste, and all of it, the majority of it came from these kind of consumer packaged goods, right? And this is something that, as a product manager, it's important to consider what is your what kind of life is your product going to live when it goes out into the market, and consider that during the design phase. Yeah, sort of following up on that, um, you know, I think that was very well done, and you reemphasized sort of the time element. Uh, again, and when you think about uh, focusing on carbon and meeting some of the goals we have, you know, right now, which are clearly, you know, 2050 or, you know, people are looking at 2030, uh, very, very important. And we're as a, as a sort of world global community, it doesn't look very positive in terms of moving forward. Uh, but focusing on climate, when you really see the conversation and, and listen to the conversation that people are, are providing on a global basis, you're starting to realize people say, well, what about resource consumption, resource use or water use or mm -hmm. uh, what happens to the product at its end of its lifespan? And I think to me, the focus, when you think about a product manager and in the design and the decision about go to market and what happens at the end of life, things are being missed. There was a CBN's. Mm -hmm. 
announcement or a little blurb a couple of weeks ago that I shared on, on LinkedIn. And it was sort of like, you know, 25 years now, we've had the solar panels or, or wind, wind turbines and, you know, kind of thing. And they're ending up in landfill. We knew 25 years ago that those solar panels and those uh, windmill would be needed to, to be handled at the end of life. But when I'm designing it and, and trying to bring it to market, you know, 25 years ago, although I knew about it, wasn't really a priority of the customer or because we were only concerned about carbon, you know, reducing the greenhouse gas of my, you know, and my emissions from the, you know, from my, my use within the factory or the house or the building kind of thing. And to me, that is sort of an example where we knew, and that's where the, one of the risks, you know, Shelley, you know, what's the, the risk of focusing on, on carbon is that we missed a whole series of impacts, you know, the, the, the end of life aspect of it, uh, that, it really became a, a now a problem today. And you can make a case that, well, 25 years ago, we knew it, but they weren't available for recycling, reuse. Today, they're going to be available 25 years in the future. And my role is really to bring a product to market today. And then somebody else is going to have that responsibility in 25 years. And so when that comes, we'll build the infrastructure to deal with the, the recycling. And mm -hmm. I think that's that's probably true in a logical way of thinking. But it's really insufficient and, quite frankly, inadequate. Because what you have to do, when you think about it 25 years ago, we have to be able to think about it in the context of what and who do we need to talk to to begin to put an infrastructure in place. So when those solar panels or windmills or whatever the technology is, its lifespan is over, and whenever that period is, there's an infrastructure in place to deal with that in terms this is where the whole circular economy you know, activity fits in. So it really is important that right at the beginning, the product manager has that consideration. And it's not just what they can do 100%. This is where the product responsibility and the producer responsibility really have a, a slightly different take. The producer responsibility has responsibility for that over the entire lifespan, but it doesn't mean that he or she have to have 100% responsibility for doing it all. What it means is that they have to identify where those problems might be and then really reach out in a multi-stakeholder involvement with different groups and different organizations or maybe different places around the world to build the understanding that in 25 years, this is going to happen. And we need to build the infrastructure and the business models for when those useful life is over. There's a, a business plan and a people and companies in place to deal with that on a global basis. And that's, to me, is part of the product response, manager's responsibility. I think, I think this yeah, became no. a lot easier than was, right? And if you, if you think of a student studying for an exam, everybody, and I'm not just speaking for myself, but uh, all, all the people I know, 90% of the time you do 10% of the work, and then in 10% of the time you do, just before the exam, you, you, you right. put in 90% of the effort, right? We're at that point, we're at that crunch time right now. So this, the advantage that we had 30 years ago of, you know, having 25 years to find the problem and then figure out, Hey, we need a solution to it. We're not there anymore. Right. I think that's this, this five lives to 50. We right. are at that crunch time right now. So, uh, and, and I think the other aspect of this. So being in crunch time where we know that there is a problem and there's a lim limited amount of time to solve it, I think makes things a lot easy in terms of efficiency and attention. But I think what's also good is if you look at the roadmaps of almost every country in the world, waste reduction, water conservation, I mean, we already know today that 25 years from now, 
Freshwater is going to be a problem. And we have people like Elon Musk saying, water is not going to be a problem. Uh, you know, 75% of the ocean, of the earth is made of water. Uh, yes, it's made of salt water and costs a huge <laughs> amount of electricity and power to make that fresh. And more importantly, the people in the middle of India are very far away from an ocean. Sure. There is no, that's, that's where we have a problem, uh, or China where, where you don't have access to large oceans. I think we already know these problems that we're going to see. The roadmaps to many of the countries are much more evolved than they were 30, 40, 50 years ago. And I think if you just look at what these roadmaps are, the EU has an ambitious roadmap. The US has one. China has actually uh, not a lot of people know, but there is, uh, they, they, they are making more progress faster than anyone else in the world today from what we see in terms of carbon waste and resource use. India has their own roadmap. I think looking at where these roadmaps are moving will give you a good picture of where your products need to go towards, right? And what are the key priorities that you should look at? There are simple frameworks, the SDGs, looking at what are the key things that we need to focus on. I think the PEF, the Product Environmental Footprint uh, Project that took almost mm -hmm. a decade, you know, where they looked at all of the different environmental factors, right? So they didn't focus on cost and, and society, but uh, looking at what are the big challenges around uh, around the world from an environmental perspective and even weighting them. I think one of the things that they, they also managed to do was simplify the decision-making process by weighting, saying, hey, you know, carbon is a big problem today and uh, uh, ozone depletion is less of a problem than it was 30 years ago, right? To give more direct guidance to manufacturers and product managers like you to say, how can I, how can I decide if one design is better than the other? I think ultimately that's what you're looking for. How right. do you decide one is better than the other will be more successful today and tomorrow, right? And we'll also, I think, uh, it's the key to keep in mind product managers think in terms of, uh, good product managers think in terms of successful products, right? Great product managers think in terms of successful product lines, right? What is the next product going to be in sure. this direction? Those are the bets you're making, right? It's not just the first one. And I think looking at these roadmaps and just juxtaposing what your long-term roadmap for products are will give you that, that advantage. Yeah. And I think the thing that I find interesting about your comments, Neil, is that there's with social media today, which we didn't have 25 years mm -hmm. ago. Uh, and so with any instant, you can you go on social media and with the you know, AI today, you can ask questions about these things that are happening all over the world. So the mapping on these, you know, these roadmaps that you're talking about, those exist. And some of the people have already done those sort of what if scenarios of cradle to cradle kind of a perspective. And they're available and that people have access to them, you know, you know, fairly quickly. And the other thing that's happening is that there's innovation occurring around the world. There are startup companies that are coming that because they understand these roadmaps, they're beginning to do innovation to deal with one thing versus another. And I think that to me is is very exciting. Those roadmaps and mapping that exist out there, the social media, the ability for the innovation folks, maybe not as a, the product manager, but people who are coming up with new technologies to deal with some of these these, these issues that are in the roadmap that may be a few years down the road, but people are beginning to think about that and together so you've got the mapping you've got uh, you know the work on innovation and then the ability to socialize and and share that information with social media and so that's what we're trying to do here with our podcast is really provide the product managers with good solid information about what is product sustainability and how do you begin to address it more completely and adequately to deal with your existing 
problems associated with that uh, that product uh, system, as well as potential future ones that might come over its life lifespan. So I think it's an exciting time, and it's different than it was 25 years ago, no question about it. But I think now is a time for action, and we are be able to have the tools and the knowledge and information that we didn't have that we need to just embed into that product manager's whole decision-making process and all the various functions that he or she will interact with over that whole product lifespan. You both have shared some really great information about how product managers need to think about sustainable products more broadly and the necessity of mapping their whole value chain throughout the lifespan of a product. It's really key what type of crunch time we're in right now. And I'd like to hear from both of you when product managers go back to work this week, next week, what is one key shift in thinking you would like to leave them with? To me, I think that they need to begin to just ask a broader range of questions. I mean, the mapping, they may be aware of the mapping, may not be aware of the mapping, but they need to begin to ask questions that relate to, you know, what are the social and environmental and what are the business values of each of those uh, decisions they're considering and each of those life cycle stages and for the multiple impacts associated with environmental uh, and economic uh, and their frameworks to that. And then people are beginning to do that. But I think they need to understand for their product and their category, what are those roadmaps? And then begin to understand who are the other stakeholders in that value chain that I need to begin to get acquainted with and begin to build relations with. And they could be internal with the company and they also can be external. Uh, to the company. So that's what I think they can begin to start thinking about on Monday morning uh, about how do they begin to do things differently to really accelerate and scale, you know, this broader product sustainability uh, activity of what we're talking about. I've been a product manager for a large part of my career. And most of the time, I must tell you, I wasn't a great one. And the reason was that I was always looking at my roadmap, my this year's roadmap. In the best case scenario, I have to look at a three-year roadmap and figure out you know, where my product is going to go. I think a good, uh, a good exercise is to look at what product you are going to make in five years from now, right? That you, want, that, that you would want to take to market in five years from now. Not the one that you need to release next week or you know, in right. six months from now, but the one that you are going to release in five years from now, because that's how long it's going to take to make mm-hmm. it. Right? And this is when the inception starts. This is when you start thinking about what that's going to be. And I think the, the interesting thing to think about is you need to try and predict what is the world going to look like in five years from now in, te- in terms of demand, in terms of regulations, in terms of competition, in terms of what is important for, uh, for society. Is it, you know, is it still carbon? Is it now already water? I mean, if you look at uh, what Spain did recently, putting aside a billion dollars or billion euros for uh, water security. This is not a detail. I mean, nobody cared about water you know, 10 years ago. We, we, we now have uh, countries uh, putting vast sums of money to that. So if mm-hmm. you run a data center in Spain, this is a, which is largely cooled by water, this is a, this is a problem. Right? Sure. So I think thinking about what that product is going to be five years from now is going to help you set up the right processes and the right metrics to be able to take you to that product because i think that's your your uh, your job may change right you may you may evolve and become i don't know the chief product officer you may change your product lines uh, within these next 5 years 
But I think there are certain product managers that uh, that that think in terms of product lines, right? That think in terms of not just this iteration, but what's that next step change? Whether you work uh, in when you work in the automotive space, you know, whether you're working for Porsche or Daimler or, or BMW, you're making cars, right? And the idea is to think of what is that car going to be five years from now. I think a good exercise is to think of what that world is going to look like and what are the key design criteria you want you think would make a successful car. Right. It's a great exercise to have. And I think um, if I had done that, I would have been a I'd have been a more successful and better product manager <laughs> far earlier in my career. I think you did quite well. Uh, quite well, Neil. Just building one odd uh, one uh, one comment on that in terms of the product line um, aspect of it. You know, I do think there's a, the other piece of that uh, in terms of design uh, considerations. But who are the right or additional people we need to collaborate with that may be inside the company and maybe outside of the company. Uh, and so I, I agree 100% mm-hmm. with what you talked about, but it's but it's not just the design aspect of it, but it's the people, it's the who who you also need to collaborate with uh, and cooperate with to make all that happen. All right, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Five Lives to 50. To never miss an episode, you can follow Five Lives to 50 on Spotify or iTunes. And if you like what you heard, have a comment, or want to share an idea for a future podcast, write to us and let us know. You can reach us by email at contact at fivelivesto50.com or visit our webpage with the same name at fivelivesto50.com. See you next time.